If you have your Bibles and want to follow along with me this morning, I am going to look in a text in Matthew chapter 8, a very familiar passage of Scripture in Matthew chapter 8. In the first four verses, an incident that took place, and I have preached on this before, and it's one of my favorite incidents that took place in the life of our Lord when he was here upon this earth. Let me read the text to you. Matthew chapter 8 and begin in verse 1. And when he was come down from the mountain, great multitudes followed him. And behold, there came a leper and worshipped him, saying, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. And Jesus put forth his hand and touched him and said, I will, be thou clean. And immediately his leprosy was cleansed. And Jesus said unto him, See thou tell no man, but go show yourself. Go your way, show yourself to the priest, and offer the gift that Moses commanded for a testimony unto them. He came down from the mountain. There's no doubt our context tells us something about who this was, who it was that was upon this mountain, and who it was that came down from this mountain. And you'll look here in chapter 7, and we're told something about who this was. In verse 29 of chapter 7, he taught them as one having authority and not as the scribes. I've often thought what these scribes thought after Matthew wrote this gospel. And they said, well, I'll read that. I don't like him. I don't believe he was the Messiah. Can't you imagine how he gritted his teeth as he read this? That Jesus of Nazareth taught them as one having authority and not as the scribes. They had no authority. But he did. Well, when he spake, the way he spake, no man ever spake like this man. And it was because his words my words that I speak unto you, their spirit and their life, they brought life to people and sustained the life that he gave with authority, with authority. But something else here is said about him in verse 23. This is an amazing thing that's said about this man, Jesus of Nazareth. He was speaking about the day of judgment, and then will I profess unto them, these these scribes and Pharisees, false religionists. I never knew you. Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. Can you imagine not only the authority with which he speaks, but the authority that he has? He will assign every man their eternal home. No man will go to heaven except at the words of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Come, you blessed of my Father. And no man will depart into torment, but at his word, depart from me, you workers of iniquity. Who is it that could speak with such authority and have such authority? Well, he tells us here in verse 22, look at this. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord. That's who he is. He is the Lord. He's the Lord of glory. He's the Lord of hosts. He's the Lord of heaven. He's the Lord of earth. 
He is the Lord. You call me Lord and Master, and you say, well, for so I am. That's who this is that we're told here that came down from this mountain. He came down from the mountain. Now, there was another occasion when this same Lord was upon another mountain. And you remember that very, very well. And if you want to reference it sometime and read it, it's found in Exodus chapter 19 and Exodus chapter 20. You'll remember it well. God had spoke to Moses and said, You prepare the people, you sanctify the people, for in three days I'm coming down upon this mountain, Mount Sinai. Remember that? And God sent Moses back down that mountain to prepare the children of Israel, those 12 tribes that was camped at the base of that mountain. And he said, you tell them to sanctify themselves. Don't come near their wives and wash their clothes and be clean because the third day I'm coming down upon this mountain. And boy, the third day came and they had bounds set around about that mountain. And God came down on that mountain. And what a sight it was. The mountain was on fire. It began to smoke like a great furnace. It began to tremble. And God spake in that fire and in that smoke. And he gave them those commandments. You shall have no other God before me. And you shall not bow down yourself to graven images. And he went on and on commanding the people what they must and must not do. And the sight was so fearful that even Moses a man who had seen God face to face. He said, I exceedingly fear and quake. It was an awful, awful scene. And the children of Israel said, don't let him speak with us, lest we die. I saw a few, a year or so ago, I was, I, they, I was sent some material and looked it up on the internet. But there's, they think now that they found the real Mount Sinai. And I don't know if you've seen, seen this or not, but, but I, they... Some men went in there several years ago in Saudi Arabia. You know, if you look in the back of your Bibles, the map in the back of your Bible, and this always confused me, the map in the back of every Bible that I've ever seen doesn't have the children of Israel crossing the Red Sea when they come out of Egypt. And I often wondered about that. Well, they can't have them crossing the Red Sea because they don't know where Mount Sinai is. But I saw on these videos they found it in Saudi Arabia. Arabia, and they slipped into the country, and they were asking some of the Arabs there, the Saudis, do you know where this mountain could, could be? That God came down on, they call Mount Sinai. And they said, oh, the Mount of God? Yeah, we know where that is. And on this video, they, they were going there, driving there, in just a few minutes, they saw it. It was black. About three-fifths of the way down the top of that mountain, it was black. And they went up on top of that mountain and bursted some of the stones. And inside the stones looked just like other stones, but outside was still black. And at the base of the mountain, some of the huge stones that you can see that they built around there so people couldn't cross over. They had the, an altar, this big altar. They had stones stacked up where they said they could have put that golden calf. 
But the mountain was black. The only mountain around that was like that. And it was because God came down upon top of that mountain. And it was burning. And the people were so fearful, they said, don't let him speak. And they fled from him. But here on this occasion, he was up on top of this mountain. Now you say, Bruce, this can't be the same God. Brothers and sisters, there is but one God. The Lord Jesus Christ, He is God. And He's the same Lord that was upon that mountain called Mount Sinai. That was in fire. What's the difference then between Him here upon top of this mountain as upon top of that Mount Sinai? This is a different side of God. Oh, Martin Luther said, this, this is the good side of God. There upon Mount Sinai is what we would call the bad side of God. That's the holiness of God. That's the justice of God. Demanding of us. Threatening us with his presence. That every transgression and every disobedience is going to be punished. But here is a different side of God. Here is God condescending in our humanity. Not to require things of us. Not to command us things that we can't do to begin with, but this is God coming down to save us. This is God our Savior. This is God our Redeemer. And the wonderful thing about this, he had just been up here in this mountain. And he said things like this, Blessed are the poor, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are they that mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed and hunger are those, blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. There was no fire. There was no lightning. There was no trumpet. People weren't scared. They heard these gracious words proceeding out of his mouth. And when he come down from the mountain, he not only stayed upon the mountain like he did there in Mount Sinai, but now what does he do? He comes down from the mountain and there's no band set. And people can approach unto him. And they did. The crowds thronged him and they touched him and they looked upon him and handled him. And you know something? They felt comfortable in his presence. Nobody was threatened. Nobody was repulsed. And what's the difference? It's this. This is God's redeeming side. This is God's reconciliation. Coming down in the person of His Son in our humanity to save us. I love what the old poet said in the song he wrote. Till God in human flesh I see. My thoughts no comfort find. The holy, just, and sacred three are terrors to my mind. But if Emmanuel's face appear, then my hopes, my joys begin. His name forbids my slavish fear, and his grace removes my sin. That's the difference, isn't it? You and I want nothing to do with God as he is upon Mount Sinai. We cannot approach him to him that way. He's fearful to us. Even Moses said, I can't approach unto him. But oh, here's God's good side. Here he is in his son approaching unto us. And we can come to him 
and handle him and look upon him and talk with him and communicate to him and never feel threatened by his presence. He came down. He came down from the mountain. But look at this in verse 2. And Matthew uses this word here in verse 2. Behold. Look at this. He was amazed by something that happened here. Behold there came a leper. And worshipped him. Saying Lord if you will. You can make me clean. This is amazing. A leper came to him. A leper. And not only a leper, but a man that was full of leprosy. In his last days in this world, he came to him. And there's different reasons, I'm sure, that Matthew used this word, behold. This is amazing, he said. One of the reasons was, this man was not allowed to come to anybody that was whole. He, he was, when he found out that he had leprosy, he came to the priest. No sense going to the doctor. Because leprosy couldn't be healed. If you thought you had leprosy, you went to the priest. And, and he would examine you and put you inward for seven days. And you'd go back to him and he'd say, man, you've got leprosy. And he could not pity you. He'd grab your clothes and rip them off of you and tear your pants legs up. He would send somebody over to your house to get the rest of your belongings. And, and, and he'd put two guards, one on each side of you, and they'd walk you out to the camp where the other lepers lived. And they would tell you, if we ever catch you in a healthy society, we may stone you to death. You're not permitted to come into the gates of Jerusalem. You're not permitted to come into the temple to worship. You're a leper. And they would live out with the leopards, put a rag over their face, and if some healthy person come near them, they would say, unclean, unclean, don't come near me, I'm contagious. This man wasn't allowed to approach into Jesus Christ or anybody else. But Matthew said, behold, behold, there he is, there he is. He took his life in his own hands to approach Unto Jesus of Nazareth. What does that tell us? I think there's a good spiritual lesson here to tell us. Something about our coming to the Lord Jesus Christ ourselves. What is it? We come to Christ just like this man come. Lawbreakers. If he hadn't come to Christ as a lawbreaker, he couldn't come. And do you and I come to Christ... Whole? Do we come to Christ having fulfilled all the law? The law says do this and you shall live. Is anybody here this morning, has any of us done everything the law commands us to do? If we have, we don't need the Savior, do we? When we come to the Lord Jesus Christ, we must come just as He comes. We take our lives in our own hands. And we come contrary to the law. I want you to look over in Romans chapter 3 with me right quickly. A couple of places in Romans chapter 3. Look over in Romans chapter 3 and look in verse 19. You and I can no more approach unto God. We can no more come to the Lord through the law 
That is through our own religious efforts and works. As the children of Israel could approach unto God upon top of that Mount Sinai. There's bounds. And if you cross that bound, you were to be stoned or thrust through with a dart. Can you imagine trying to approach unto God this morning apart from Jesus Christ? We'd be consumed, wouldn't we? We have to come to Him as law breakers. Look at what He said in Romans chapter 3. And look here in verse 19. A couple of places in Romans. Now we know that whatsoever things the law saith, it saith to them who are under the law, Cursed is every man who continues not in all things. That's what the law requires. It saith to them who are under the law that every mouth may be stopped and all the world become guilty before God. Therefore, by the deeds of the law, by our religious works, there shall no flesh be justified in his sight. For by the law is the knowledge of sin. This is one of the most wonderful verses in the Bible in verse 21. But now, the righteousness of God the way in which God makes us righteous, the way in which He justifies us. The righteousness of God, look at this, without the law, without our obedience to the law, is manifested being witnessed by the law and the prophets, even the righteousness of God, which is by faith of Jesus Christ unto all and upon all them that believe, for there's no difference. All of us have sinned, And come short of the glory of God. How then can we be saved? How can we be justified? Verse 24. Being justified freely by His grace. Through this redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Somebody saying, Bruce, you're telling me that that, that, uh, I must be saved? Holy? Apart from my own obedience? That I can't be saved by anything that I do? What if I give all my goods to feed the poor? What if I give my body to be burned? That's the ultimate. That can't save us. We have to be saved by another's obedience. We have to be saved by another man's righteousness. And the very minute we turn to this law to be saved, we're staring our death in the face. We must, like this poor leper did, say, I'm going to come to Jesus Christ contrary to the law. I'm going to come and say, Lord, I'm a lawbreaker. If the law has its way with me, just put a chain about my neck and weight my feet down and cast me into hell. That's where I deserve to be. But I seek to be justified by another way, by another means. How is that? Freely by His grace. Through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Look in chapter 5 of Romans. This is what he's saying. Look in chapter 5. Look in verse 18. Therefore, as by the offense of one, judgment came upon all men to condemnation, even so by the righteousness of one, The free gift came upon all men to justification of life. For as by one man's disobedience, many were made sinners, so by the obedience of one shall many 
be made righteous. One man's obedience. Adam disobeyed God, and look what a mess, brothers and sisters, he got us in. By one man's disobedience. But once we're in this mess, we can't get ourselves out by our obedience. It takes obedience from the mother's womb to the grave, and we can't render that. Therefore, we must come as lawbreakers and trust in him who was obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. If you've ever read Bunyan's Pilgrim Progress, it, remember when, when it started out and, and, and Pilgrim heard, heard about you know, the wrath of God and he, he had this burden on his back and he headed out and the evangelist told him to, to go until he saw a man hanging on the tree and there he would lose his burden, get through the wicked gate. And he got in all kinds of mess, got into slaw, desponds. And anyway, he met worldly wise man. If you've read that, you remember worldly wise man. And worldly wise man said, I'll help you off of your burden. So he sent him down to the town of morality. And he went down to the town of morality and he met one legality. Remember that? And legality said, I'll help you off with your burden. And he sent him to Mount Sinai. And the pilgrim with all this burden on his back got under that mountain and he saw, he saw the fire and the mountain was shaken and he said, I thought for sure it was going to fall on my head. And he ran and he met evangelist. And the evangelist said, I told you where to go. You went to the wrong place. You listened to the wrong people. You've got to go until you see the man hanging on the tree. And as soon as he saw the man hanging on the tree, what happened? His burden fell off and rolled back down into that sepulcher. Charles Spurgeon asked an old lady in his, her, his congregation one time, he said, he said, Sister, what do you think about Bunyan's Pilgrim Progress? Oh, she said, Brother, she said, I love Holy Bunyan. But he should have got Pilgrim to the cross a lot quicker than he did. He'd have never got into slog of despond. There's no sense. Why do we mess around? Why just go to Christ? When will we stop trying to save ourselves? When we, will we stop trying to look within? We're nothing but lepers, are we? When will we just lay everything aside and go to the Lord Jesus Christ just as this man went? I'm a lawbreaker, Lord. I'm a sinner. Show me mercy. If you will, you can make me whole. I used to be awful, still awful, in a lot of my preaching, but I used to be awful to tell people, you need to go pray, and you need to pray, and, and you have people just striving and laboring to get to Christ, and, and they just they start trusting and they're striving. Just come to Christ as a sinner. Just come to Christ as a sinner and look to Him just like this leper did. That's the way we come. I was reading Pilgrim Progress to my little grandson. He's about four or five years old. and uh, Page after page, and, and, and he's, he's just having an awful struggle. And he went through this law of despondence, and I read that to him. Next page is, and, and I looked over at my little grandson. Tears run out of his eyes. And I said, what's the matter, buddy? He said, this is the saddest book I ever heard. So you know what I did? I just flipped all the way over there where he looked to the man on the tree. Are we lepers? 
Brothers and sisters, we're just like this leper. We're full of it, aren't we? Full of sin. What are we to do? Quit trying to save ourselves. Quit looking to ourselves. Quit trying to exert all of this effort. And just come to the Lord Jesus Christ as the poor sinner that we are. Just like this man here came. O Horatius Bonar said, I heard the voice of Jesus say, Behold, I freely give the living water thirsty one stooped down and drank and lived. I came to Jesus, as he said. Is that the way he tells us to come? I came to Jesus, he said, just as I was. How was he? A leper. Weary and worn and sad, I found in him a resting place. And he has made me glad. We come full of leprosy. And he cleanses us. We come naked in our rags. And he clothes the shame of our nakedness. We come dead. And he gives us life. We come full of the devil. And he drags him from his throne. And sets upon it himself. I came to Jesus. A leper came to him. Look over here in Mark chapter 1 with me. Look at Mark's account of this. Let's finish this looking at Mark's, Mark's account of this leper came into the Lord Jesus. Look in Mark chapter 1 and verse 40. Notice how this man came. He says in Mark chapter 1 and verse 40, There came a leper. There came a leper. He came to him. A ruined man. A diseased man, a stinking man, he came. That's a good way to come, isn't it? He didn't stop and take a bath. He didn't steal some clothes off of somebody's clothesline. He didn't think, now I can't go to him like this. No, he came to him just like he was, a leper. There came a leper. And notice this, he came begging. He came beseeching him. Jesus Christ, brothers and sisters, not a beggar, but we are. But you know the good thing about coming to him as a beggar? He lifteth up the beggar from the dunghill and sets him among princesses. And look here, something else, how he come. Kneeling down to him, humbling himself before the Lord. And look at this, saying unto him, if you will, submitting to his will, if you will. And look at this. He had power to make him whole. You can make me whole. Isn't that a good way to come to Christ? That's a good way to come to the Lord Jesus Christ. Some people will acknowledge that it takes the power of God to save a sinner. But you know one of the things they won't admit, and I think here's the clincher sometimes, His will. His will. If you will. I heard Todd Nybert preach a message on this passage one time, and he said it's, it's very telling what this fellow didn't say when he come to the Lord. He didn't say, I've decided to accept Jesus. He didn't say that, did he? He didn't say, I now receive my healing. He didn't say that. He didn't say, I receive Jesus as my Savior, and perhaps somewhere I'll receive Him as my Lord. He didn't say, I've exercised the power of my will. 
If he'd have said that and headed off to the gate to enter the temple, he'd probably been stoned. But what did he say? If you will. Can you imagine the hush that went over that crowd? Can't you imagine this? Can't you see this in your, in your mind's eye when he said, Lord, if you will? Oh, I imagine a hush went over that crowd. Everybody was silent. The dad that had his little boy on his shoulder squeezing his legs, shh, shh. Listen, listen. Silence. What were they waiting for? They were waiting for something to be revealed that can only be known when the Lord makes it known. What was that? His will. If you will. Is he willing? Nobody knows. Nobody knows. This leper didn't know. Nobody had earned you. But here was a man that came here and whether he was cleansed and was made whole or where he died in his leprosy was left in the mere will of this man, Jesus of Nazareth. What if I told you this morning, whether you were saved or lost, the determining factor in that, as important as it is, the determining factor in who is saved and who perishes in their sins is determined by the mere will of God. That wouldn't make you mad, would it? Because you believe that. But that makes some people angry. My salvation is important to me and I trust yours is to you. What's going to determine whether we're saved or not? And you know what it is? will of God. I've had people to tell me if I believe that, that would scare me to death. That would scare me to death. If I thought my salvation had nothing to do with my will, but it was determined by the will of God, that would scare me to death. You think this leper wasn't scared? You think he wasn't full of anxiety when he said, if you will... Whether I live or die is in your will, your mere will. We've been, told, we've been told by this generation from the pulpits throughout this country, let's just don't fear now. You know, God loves you and Jesus died for you and we love you and let's just all go to heaven together. There's no reason to be afraid. There's no reason to be anxious. I tell you, if I'm lost, and I'm concerned about my eternal soul, and I know that whether I'm saved or lost is in the will of God, I tell you what, that ought to make me anxious. That ought to awaken my soul. And to find out that just perhaps, just perhaps, it could be His will to save me. Oh, I tell you with a trembling heart, with a trembling hands, I think I'd come and get on my knees before him, don't you? And say, Lord, if you will, you can save me. I think a man who is saved by the will of God should be the happiest man in this world. <laughs> if it's God's will to save you, then you'll be saved. If it's God's will to save a man, he'll be coming and asking God to save him, won't he? And I tell you, we don't want to be saved any other way. 
a true believer, if, if he finds out that it would be God's will for him to perish instead of saved, I think God has worked such a work of grace in his heart. He'd said, Lord, not my will, but yours be done. Submitting, submitting to the will of the Lord. Oh, when he brings us there. Lord, if you will, you can make me whole. What a place to come to. Are you happy about that? Aren't you happy when you think and believe and know that you're saved according to the will of God? Oh, what a wonderful thought to live in that reality. But look here in, in back in our text that I just read in Mark chapter 1. Look at this. Look in verse 41. This is, this is amazing. Mark chapter 1 and verse 41. Jesus moved with compassion, put forth his hand and touched him and said, I will be thou clean. And as soon as he had spoken, immediately the leprosy departed from him and he was clean. Why did he touch this man? It wasn't the touch that healed him. He wasn't healed until he said, I will be thou clean. Why would he touch this man? I've read an account, Dr. John Gill. He, uh, he, he, uh, he gave someone's eyewitness account of seeing a man full of leprosy like this. And just before he died, and he, he wrote this account down and I copied it down. Let me read what, what this eyewitness has said of this leper that he saw, that he said he looked just like this man that came, that Jesus put forth his hand. And listen to what this man said, his eyewitness account. He said this man was in his last stages, last stage of leprosy. His nose had rotted off, and there was two holes in his face where his nose had been. His tongue was black, and ulcerated and swollen. His faith, face was bloated and shiny and hard. Knots had risen all over his body. They were green at the bottom and white at the top. Huge ulcers had risen and bursted, only to feed upon each other and rise and burst again, until finally his skin was hard and looked like fish scales. If you plucked his hair, it would bring hair and skin from the scalp. His ears and his private parts had rotted and fell off. His eyes were red and inflamed and shined like those of a cat. His body temperature had risen to such a point that if the whole apple was placed in his hand, one hour would be thoroughly cooked. When cut, instead of bleeding blood, he bled a stinking pus that seeped out. Can you imagine what this man looked like and smelt like? The running sores. And Jesus Christ, the Son of God, put forth his hand and touched him. He was moved with compassion and touched him. Can you imagine that? And you know what made him do that? Compassion. 
He was moved with compassion. Isn't it a wonderful thought, brothers and sisters, that you you, you and I are living in this world. Don't sometimes you feel yourself just like this man. Don't sometimes you go to the Lord and you say, Lord, I'm a leper. I'm blind. I can't hear. And what does he do? Doesn't he reach forth his hand of compassion? Isn't there times when he touches you in your awful sin? When you've watered your pillow with your tears and you feel yourself to be so shameful and repulsive in your own eyes? And he reaches his hand forth in a song. He reaches his hand in the reading of his scripture or in a message and he reaches his hand forth and he touches you right where you are. Oh, his compassion. What would we do, brothers and sisters, in this world of devils, in this world of trials and heartaches, if we did not have someone in heaven who loved us and could be touched with the feelings of our infirmities? And why shouldn't he touch us? We're awful, awful sinners and we're vile. But I tell you, it has no effect upon him when he touches us, does it? He can touch us right where we are. And it will affect us. But I tell you what, it has no effect upon him. He's just like he was before he touched us. He is compassion. I love that passage in Lamentation that said, It's because of your mercy that we're not consumed. Because your compassion's they fail not. Everything's around us failing, is it? Our health is failing, ain't it, Jeff? Our families are failing. Our society, right before our eyes. Everything seems to be failing. But there's something that's not going to fail. And that's His compassions. They fail not. They're new every morning. I think this is one of the reasons that we ought to wake up. Especially on these cloudy days when we can't see the sun. It's still there, isn't it? And we ought to have this thought. This is a new morning. The Lord's given us a new morning. And He said, His compassions are new every morning. Oh, when you wake up in the morning, brothers and sisters, no matter what your night has been, it's a new morning. And His compassions are new every morning. They'll never fail. Oh, what a Savior we have. What a merciful Savior we have. So full of compassion, they'll never change. Look in close and look at the last thing our Lord tells this man to do. In verse 43, look at this. This is amazing what the Lord tells this man to do. And he straightly charged him and put and sent forth, sent him away, and he said to him, See, thou say nothing to any man. I've often wondered, Lord, why would you put such a burden upon this fellow? There's no way he's going to obey this command. And he didn't either. How could you? How many people did you go tell him when the Lord saved you? When he made himself known to you? And sometimes today when he blesses you, when he touches you, it's hard not to tell somebody about it, isn't it? Don't tell anybody now what I've done for you. Lord, don't ask that man that. That's a temptation that's not common 
Oh, he went out and spread his flame, fame everywhere. But the Lord told him to do something here in verse 44. He said, go show yourself to the priest. What's significant about that? Well, I said at the beginning of this message that you didn't go to the physician. You went to the priest. And he was the very one that said, man, you've got leprosy. And he, he's the one that examined you and sends you out to live among the lepers. Now here he tells him, go back up to that same priest that just pronounced your leprosy and you show him now. And see what he says now. Can you imagine that priest? Maybe he's an old man by now. But here comes this leper in that's not a leper anymore. And he says, priest, I've come here to be examined and offer this sacrifice for my cleansing. That's what you did. If you were healed, you offered a sacrifice for your cleansing, not to cleanse you because you were. And he said, I brought my sacrifice for my cleansing. That priest looked at him and said, do I know you? He said, yeah, I was fell in here a few years ago. Oh, my word, I remember you now. Let me examine you again. And boy, he takes those clothes off and he examines him. And he said, man, you don't have a speck of leprosy on you anyplace. <laughs> you know, the Lord saves us not by our obedience to the law. He doesn't save us by the law. But you know this? He doesn't save us at the expense of the law either. You and I can go stand before the moral law of Moses and all its requirements. And you know what it'll say? I find no fault in this man. It's because there's no fault there. We know that. But you know what it sees? It sees that cleansing. Jesus Christ has so thoroughly cleansed His people from sin. There's no sin left. And you can go stand before the justice of God and have it said, this man is just. Go your way, man. Go back to your family. Go worship God in the temple. You're a free man. I've got nothing against you. And away he went. Lord, he was free. Oh, brothers and sisters, you'll stand before death when it comes. When the judgment comes, you'll stand there without any condemnation. Because Jesus Christ, by his own blood shedding, by his sin bearing, has justified you from everything. You'll stand there whole. And God himself will look upon you and find no fault in you. God bless you. Brother Jim.